2 Corinthians chapter 13. Are you guys doing good this morning? I know it's, it's a little rainy, it's a little crowded, but uh, it, it's great to see you. You know, one of the, the lessons that God has been teaching me in this season of my life is that there are certain blessings in your life. There are certain things in your life that can come into your life through preaching, and then there are other things in your life that only come through, into your life through praying. So in other words, there, there are times when you need somebody to stand up and to instruct you in something. And then there are other times when you just need someone who loves you enough to just get down on their knees beside you and to just, to just intercede. You know, someone that realizes, God, there is something that you have that I can't give. And I think there are, are seasons for preaching and there are seasons for praying. And then there are moments when you need both. And I think this morning we're going to find ourselves in a space in which we, we need both. I have been convicted of this in new ways earlier this week. You know, my, my wife and I, we have three kids. Our oldest is six. And over the last six years as we have tried to parent them, one of the things that we're constantly thinking about is, Lord, how do we instruct these kids in the ways of the kingdom? Like, how do we help these kids hear your voice and know your heart, know your will for their life? How do we help them to walk in obedience? You know, we don't want to just raise up a bunch of kids that are chasing after the American dream and then feel the disappointment of that. We don't want to just raise kids that are like just kind of weighed down by Southern religiosity. I go, no, Lord, I want kids that know your voice and know your heart and want to walk with you, that will obey you, that will go to the end of the earth, wherever it is that you're calling them, Lord, whatever it means. And the more I think about that with my own kids, I go, God, what I want for them, I cannot give them. Like, like what I want for them, I can't instruct in them. Lord, you've got to impart that. God, you've got to do something. You've got to rend the heavens. You've got to close the gap between heaven and earth. Lord, only you can do that sort of thing. And so my wife and I have just been praying, God, would you just awaken in each of our kids from a young age just this, this hunger, this, this desire to know you, Lord, and to walk with you. And so on Sunday of this week, like a week ago, I found myself praying. Uh, and in that moment, for whatever reason, I was praying for my oldest son, Micah, who just turned six. And I'm just praying, Lord, Lord, would you, would you impart a level of spiritual hunger that can only be satisfied by you, God? Like, could you make Micah hungry for your word, hungry for your ways? And I remember last Sunday actually praying. I said, Lord, would you wake him up in the morning and would he be more hungry for you than he is for his breakfast, than he is to see his friends at school? Would you just make him hungry for you? And so my wife and I, we prayed that on Sunday night, Monday morning, 5.45 in the morning. I'm, I'm doing what all good people do at 5.45 in the morning. I'm in bed, I'm sound asleep, and I feel this little hand on my shoulder just like shaking me. And uh, I wake up, and there Micah is standing by my bed. He has his little kid's Bible. He has this little notebook journal in his hand. And he says, hey, Dad, can you and I go downstairs, and can we write things in our journal about what God has done to us? You know, just like in kind of typical six-year-old language. And I would like to say that I was excited by this moment, but I wasn't, because it was 5.45, and I'm not a Christian till 9, and the Lord knows that. And so I thought, surely this can't be from the Lord, you know, and I'm, I'm sitting here going, okay, can I spank him even though he asked me to pray? And I'm trying to, try, trying to discern it. And then the Spirit of God reminded me what I prayed the night before. Have you ever had one of these moments where you ask God for something and then you immediately forgot that you had asked him for it? And so I'm laying there in bed and I went, oh Lord, this is what I asked you for. And so I got out of bed and we go downstairs and we have this time with the Lord and we're praying and we're talking to God and and say, God, would you keep giving him this hunger? Tuesday morning, 5.45, rolls around, I kid you not, on the dot, hand on my shoulder. Dad, are you ready again? And I'm like, doesn't the spirit work after sunrise? Like, what's going on? And then Wednesday, 
and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And this morning I got up, I get up early on Sundays to get ready to come be here. And he's wide awake, Bible and journal, Dad. And I'm going, Lord, you're doing something. God, would you give him a hunger, a spiritual hunger that eclipses all of his physical hungers? And will that hunger be satisfied only in you, Lord? And I, I don't tell that story to like make you think much of him or much of us, but to go, Jesus tells us this is the truth. That when we pray in accordance with God's will, and we say, God, we want what you want for us. We're not coming to you anymore with our earthly prayers. We're not coming to you anymore with our earthly agenda saying, God, here's my plans. Here's my circumstances. Here's my will. God, would you work it out? No, when we come to the Lord and say, God, whatever is in your big heart for us, would you give it to us? Jesus says when we pray that way, God always listens. God always answers, and I believe that there are things in store for you. There are things in store for me. There are things in store for us as a community this year that won't come about because of sermons and songs and cool venues or great programs, that there are things in the heart of God that are only unleashed, not through preaching, not through, um, not through instruction, but through praying, through intercession, where we get down on our knees and we say, God, would you rend the heavens, Isaiah 64? Would you close the gap? Would you pour out more of yourself upon these people? Jesus knew this in his ministry. He spent three years teaching, preaching, instructing his disciples. And then he gets to the end of his time with the disciples, John chapter 17. And Jesus knew that there was something he wanted to give them that would not come to them through preaching. It would only come through praying. So he gets on his knees in John chapter 17 and he says, Father, you have some things for these people. Would you please bring them to fruition in their life? Or you see this in the ministry of the, the Apostle Paul. He'd start churches, and then he'd write them letters, and those letters now make up more than half of our New Testament. And he would start those letters with a word of instruction. This is what it means to be a man of God. This is what it means to be a godly spouse. This is what it means to live in the kingdom of God. And then he would almost always end those letters of instruction with a time of intercession going, God, but there is something in this church that only you can give. Are we hungry for what it is that God wants to give? If you're hungry for what it is that God wants to give, only prayer will unlock it. And this morning, I want us to just kind of turn our hearts to a simple prayer, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want to just read this over you. I invite you to close your eyes as I just read these words. I'm going to read them several times. And I want you to just listen to the reality of this prayer. And then after uh, this prayer, I'm going to spend a few minutes kind of giving us some insight into what Paul is talking about, and then we're just going to pray for God to do this in our church. And so I don't want to just turn us loose to pray and not know what it is that we're praying for. I want us to understand what it is that we're getting ready to ask God to do in the life of our church so you can recognize it when he answers. But this is, this is what the Word of God says. Just close your eyes and listen to these words. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. This is Paul praying. He says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be in you all. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God the Father and may the fellowship or the friendship of our Holy Spirit be with you all. I wanna read that one more time. May the grace of the Lord Jesus May the love of God the Father, may the friendship of the Holy Spirit be in you all. Amen. You know, I cannot imagine God doing a more significant work in our life as a church in this next season. 
than him opening our eyes and giving us a fresh revelation of his grace and of his love and of the friendship that's available to us in the Holy Spirit. Here in a few minutes, we're gonna actually break up and we're gonna pray for these things, but I wanna make sure we understand what it is that we're praying for. And I want you to look back at the first part of verse 14 where Paul says, I pray that the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would be upon you. And if you grew up in church, you've probably heard this word grace so many times. You may not even know what it means, but because you're in church, you've used it before. If you've grown up in Nashville, there's about a thousand churches in Nashville that are named Grace Church something. And so chances are you've heard it, you've seen it. But a lot of times we don't really stop to really wrestle with what does it actually mean? And if we're not careful, the, the word grace, we make it way too little. We make it way too small and we begin to make the word grace synonymous with forgiveness. Or we make the word grace a synonym of mercy. And although grace is always forgiving, and although grace is always merciful, grace and forgiveness, grace and mercy are not the same thing. Grace is bigger than that. Grace is the spiritual solar system that forgiveness and mercy and love orbit in. Grace is this all-encompassing, undeserved, incomparable, unlimited, never-running-out kindness of God towards people who don't deserve it in Jesus Christ. Everything good in your life especially those of you that are not Christians, I want you to hear this. Everything good in your life, the scriptures tell us, is a token of God's undeserved, unmerited, unquenchable, never exhausting kindness towards you. And that is a picture of his grace. In John chapter one, verse 18, we're told that the grace of Jesus is a grace that keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps coming. It's like we are children sitting on the edge of the ocean with our feet in the sand, and the water is God's grace that keeps lapping up over our legs over and over and over. That grace is there when you fail. Grace is there when you succeed. Grace is there when you are proud. Grace is there when you feel like an utter failure. That what brings us into the kingdom of God, what holds us tight in the kingdom of God, what launches us out in the kingdom of God is the grace of Jesus. And so I want you to see this. I want you to just look around the room for a minute. Every human being that is breathing in this room this morning, they're not here because of their religious pedigree. We're not here because of the home we were raised in or what our parents tried to pass down to us. We're not here because we're Southerners and this is what you do on a Sunday morning. Some of you may be. You're not just here because the girl that invited you is hot. You are here because the grace of Christ has kicked open the cosmic doors of God's affection so that you could be here. And his grace never runs out. When we understand grace, grace creates this place of humility in us because in the world we gain our sense of position based upon how well we perform but in the kingdom of God, you don't stand upon your performance. You stand upon Jesus' performance. And grace is this constant reminder that it is Jesus' work that got you in, and it is Jesus' work that keeps you here. But grace doesn't just humble us. I think grace creates this sense of hunger in us for more of God. If you've lost a hunger for God, it's because you've lost sight of his grace. It's because you lost sight of his kindness. I remember several years ago, I was teaching on grace here at Ethos, and I think for about 15 weeks in a row, we talked about the grace of God, and eventually somebody said, hey, Dave, if you keep talking about how nice God is, people are just gonna start sinning and doing whatever they want. And I go, only when we misunderstand the grace of God are we driven to sin more. Have you ever noticed that whenever somebody does something really nice for you, they buy you a meal, 
They babysit your kids. They help you out with your, your, your work or whatever it is. Have you ever noticed that when somebody does something nice for you, you are motivated to walk in peace and harmony and unity with them, not run away from them, right? Because it is the kindness of God that draws us to God. And then when we really understand grace, man, it opens up the door. It creates this hunger in us. I believe that grace is the gasoline our hearts need to be propelled into the path of obedience that God has made us for. And that legalism and religion will never motivate you down the long road of obedience like grace will. And Paul says, there's something I want to give you that can't be given to you through preaching. You had to come through prayer. And he says, and that thing is grace. This understanding of grace, but he doesn't stop there. He keeps going. He says, I pray that you would know the grace of Jesus. Look back at verse 14. And that you would know the love of God the Father. I was talking to a friend of mine recently. And he said, I believe God loves me, but I'm not convinced that he likes me. Have you ever been there before? I'm not going to make you raise your hand. Not gonna, I can't make you do anything, but I won't ask you to, to raise your hand. Have you ever been in one of those places where in your mind... You know God is love. In your mind, you know God is loving. But in your heart, man, he feels like a distant father. We can't imagine any greater gift that God could give us this next season than the unveiling and the reminder of the Father's love towards us in Jesus Christ. That the love of God would become the concrete that keeps our feet anchored in a world that is constantly shifting and trying to knock us down. That the love of God would be the, the platform we stand upon when our performance isn't enough and our religion is dry and when our hearts feel cold. That the inexhaustible love of God would be the thing that keeps telling you you matter even though everyone else tells you you don't. That when you feel worthless and low, and lowly and pitiful, the love of God would be the thing that lifts your face towards Jesus. Oh, man. Do you know how much God loves you? I don't know if anyone's told you that. It, it would be so creepy, and we don't have the time, but I wish I could just walk through the whole audience and they need to hug you and look you in the eyes and say, man, God loves you. He loves you just as you are. However, you, however it is you stumbled in here this morning, you are loved by God. And Paul says, what I want to give you, I can't give you through preaching. It's got to come through praying that you would know the grace of Jesus, that you would know the love of the Father. And I love the way that he ends. Look back at verse 14. He says, and that you would have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the friendship of the Holy Spirit, the, the intimacy that comes in being in communion with God. Did you know you can be friends with God? Like literally? Like, you know, Paul's not just giving us a doctrine here. He's not, he's saying literally you can be friends of God. What Abraham and Moses and Elijah had you can have. What Deborah and Esther and Mary and Martha had, you can have. It's the reason Jesus stood before his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 7, and he says, I'm telling you the truth. It is good news for you that I'm returning to heaven so that the Holy Spirit will come. And I just want to ask you, do you believe that? See, a lot of us have a doctrine. We believe that, but our hearts don't believe it. James, the brother of Jesus, he reminds us, he says, listen, Elijah was just a person just like us. And in Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have intimacy with God. This is what Jesus promises, John chapter 14 through 16, go home and read it today. He says, I'm not leaving you as orphans, I'm not leaving you alone. He says, I'm sending you my spirit. If you love me and obey me, he will dwell in you forever. He will teach you, he will guide you, he will correct you, he will lead you. 
In chapter 16, verses 12 through 15, he says, he will reveal the secret places of God's heart to you because you have the mind of Christ. You have the heart of Christ. You have the spirit of Christ. And Paul says, there's this thing that I long for. He's writing to this church. He says, this thing that I long for that supersedes, that goes beyond our plans, our strategies, our venues, our preaching. He says, it's this moment that comes when hungry people get on their knees before God and say, God, there is something in you that only comes to us in prayer. And here's one of the things that I've experienced in my years of following Jesus is that people who have trained the spiritual appetites, people that have trained their spiritual appetites to be satisfied with the low-level reality of religion, never pray. When you're satisfied with your religion, when you're satisfied with your marriage, when you're satisfied with the nature of our country, when you're satisfied, you don't pray. Maybe you pray before dinner, maybe you pray when your life falls apart, but you don't get on your knees and say, God, we want something in you. We want something from you. But here's the good news. Every revival in human history, every revival that's ever been started, it wasn't started by some great strategy or some great preacher, some great sermon. It was started because a group of people got down on their knees and they said, God, what you have and who you are is what we want and only you can give it. And God, we're gonna pray, we're gonna pray until you give it. And this morning, I don't know where it is that you come into this place, but I go, man, do you want a fresh understanding of his grace and his love and his friendship? Do you need that in your life? Do you want it for our city? Do you want it for our church? I go, uh, preaching can only get us to this point. Praying is what opens the rest of the door. And so we're going to spend time praying together, and we're going to do this in kind of a variety of ways. I know all of you have different personalities. You have different levels of comfort. You have different stories. And so there's going to be a variety of ways that we're going to pray here in a few minutes. Uh, we're going to take communion together. We're going to break the bread. We're going to take the, the juice. And here at Ethos, we get together in groups. You can stand. You can sit. You can kneel. You can dance. You can sit by yourself. But we're going to break the bread. We're going to take the cup, and we're just going to pray that God would open our eyes to his grace and his love and his spirit among us today. We're just going to pray for that as we take communion. We're going we're gonna to sing songs. The band's going to come back up here in just a second, and they're going to lead us through another 20, 25 minutes of worship. And, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but worship and praying in so many ways are the same thing. Worship is where we're coming together as a bunch of individuals, and we're singing the same words as this collective prayer to God. And so it's not us just standing in a room just singing out these songs. It's like, no, God, together we are calling on your name, and so we're going to pray. You can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, you can, you can do whatever you need to do. As, as we worship, as we take communion, you don't have to be quiet. You can talk out loud to the people next to you because we're calling on the name of the Lord together. We're going to have a group of men and women up here along this wall over here to my left, to your right. You'll see the respond banner. Every week, men and women, they're just ready to pray for you. Some of you, you need a fresh touch of his grace. You need a fresh touch of his love. You need a fresh touch of his spirit. Come up and be prayed over. There's some of you who are ready to be baptized tonight and you have questions or maybe you're scared. You want to be prayed over. Come over and be prayed over. And then together we're just going to call out as a church family. My desire this morning is, is not that God would get a hold of all of you at the same time. It's not always the way that he works. Man, that he'd get a hold of some of you. I'm so tired uh, of dead religion. I'm so tired of play it safe Christianity. 
but to go, God, man, are there a few of us in here that would just prostrate our lives before you and open up our hearts to who you are and trust that you'll do more? So I want to invite you to just stand with me this morning as we enter into a time of prayer. We're so glad that you're here. Man, what a, what a joy to be together. I just want to invite you, uh, you see this all throughout the scriptures, it may be a little unusual for you, but I just want to invite you right now to just lift your hands before the Lord. This is kind of, you know, I think about my, my youngest son, Judah, he's one, he'll come into the living room and he doesn't even say anything to me, he just puts his hands up. And, and I know that's the, the universal signal, dad, pick me up. And this is just kind of our posture in worship, like, Lord, we come to you, Father, we come to you, we need you. We need you to just lift us up this morning, wherever we're at. So let me pray over us as we enter into a time of prayer and worship on behalf of our church and our city and one another. Father, I love you. I love these people. And uh, God, there are so many things that, that I just can't do that you have to do for us, that we can't do for ourselves, Lord, that you have to do for us. And so, Father, I pray that in the depths of our hearts, God, you would create a hunger for you. That, Father, you would ignite a desire for you. That, Lord, your grace and your love and your spirit would just sound off the alarm bells in our hearts that you are safe to come to in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for every man and woman and child in here that kind of has this orphan spirit that believes, okay, you know, God is for some people, but not for me. That God, you would just remove that in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that you know, your kindness would be like a movie reel just flashing before our eyes this morning as we worship, and that we would be reminded of all the ways that your kindness came to us when we didn't deserve it. That, Father, your love would just wash over our hearts and our lives as we praise you and worship you. Lord, I pray that our songs and our prayers would be like fire melting the ice around our religious hearts and that, God, you would open us up to the things of Jesus. Father, we pray for more of your Holy Spirit in our lives, that we would walk with him and yield to him and obey him and enjoy him as friends, God. Thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you for allowing us to be here together. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray and give thanks. Amen.